This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. I think it's neat to uh, see the world a little differently, like visiting different orchid sites around North America. That's really fun. It's a different way of seeing the world than just going to big cities and seeing them. Although when I visited my son in uh, New York City, one of the orchidists that I met took me to one of the parks on Staten Island to look at orchids there. So, you know, there's orchids in New York City, which I think is kind of neat. Seeing the world through plant-colored glasses, Linnea Hansen is a career field botanist and founder of Northern California Botanists. Today, she shares her botanical journey story. We'll be right back. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Last week, we visited with two plants people, one a botanist, the other a plant-loving artist from South Africa, one of the world's centers of botanical biodiversity and a seat from which plant speciation has radiated out across the globe. This week, we visit a career field botanist in interior Northern California, the northernmost tip of the California floristic region another of the world's biodiversity hotspots. Linnea Hansen is named most immediately for a family member, but indirectly after Carl Linnaeus, the famed Swedish botanist who helped to codify our current two-part categorizing and naming of life on Earth. For Linnea, botany is part of the warp and weft of everyday life and has been since her childhood. After her undergraduate degree in biological sciences, she completed her master's in the same. In her 32 years as a professional botanist for the Plumas National Forest in California, Linnea worked at the district, zone, and forest levels. She developed the Sensitive Plant Program, which became a prototype for other national forest botany programs, and she provided botanical input on rare plants, noxious weeds, and unique habitats for environmental documents. Linnea is the founder of Northern California Botanists, whose ninth botanical symposium, entitled Research and Conservation of Northern California Vegetation Communities, is coming up in Chico on January 14th and 15th, with workshops and field trips being held on the 16th. Plants are our constant companions. They are all around us, no matter where we might live, making our life here possible, better, and more beautiful. Today's journey story with Linnea offers some insight on how botany and botanists are all around us as well, and constantly adding to our understanding of life. Let's get started by having you describe the Northern California Botanist Symposium that's coming up. Okay, we're called Northern California Botanists. The symposium is coming up in January, and it's a two-day symposium, mainly because in Southern California, their meeting is a day. Okay. I guess distances are a lot shorter for them, but we thought two days was better because we, if people are going to come from Arcata or Alturas or something like that, which they do, it's a long drive. Yeah. So staying overnight, we thought, was okay in Chico. Plus, that way we could all have dinner together. So that's how, why we set it up as a two-day meeting. And then on Wednesday, we have optional workshops that people can attend. And then Sunday night, the California Botanical Society has tagged on a mixer in the front so people know about them, and that's kind of fun, too. So so what is Northern California Botanist, and when did you get this group started? We started in 2006, way long time ago, back in ancient times when I first started with the Forest Service. I shared a room with a wildlife biologist and a fisheries biologist, And they would go to their winter meetings, professional meetings, of field-oriented 
wildlife biologists and field-oriented fisheries biologists, but there was no meeting for botanists at that time, and that was in the early 80s. And the California Native Plant Society had their first rare plant conference in 1986, and I thought, oh, good, maybe we'll start doing something like that. But they had a conference in 86, and they didn't have another one until 2002, and that was up on the North Coast. And a colleague of mine and I went down to Sacramento several times trying to get them interested in having a professional conference for people that did botany. Mm -hmm. But they didn't bite. They didn't seem interested for whatever reason. We even volunteered to organize it. And this was the CNPS group based in, in Sacramento? Yeah, okay. the state office. Yeah. yeah, okay. Probably 2004, I was at a meeting at Bass Lake, the Society of Ecological Restoration, the California chapter, and Karen Weesey, who is a botanist on the Tahoe National Forest, she asked me if there was anything else I really wanted to do before I retired. And I said, I really think we need a some kind of a professional conference for botanists. Because the California Native Plant Society is for plant enthusiasts. Mm -hmm. um, people, they either have a training in botany or they're just interested. So it involves everybody. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to see a meeting so that you could get into more depth yeah. on subjects. Karen said, well, I'll help you organize it if you want. And I said, okay. And so then we started trying to figure out how to do this, went to CNPS again, nothing happened, went to California Botanical Society, and they said, well, we do our student presentations of their research, so that's what we'd rather do. Okay. And uh, a fellow I went through graduate school with, he was the BLM state botanist at that time, and I was talking with him, and he said, well, I just gave a talk to Southern California botanists. And this, by that time, was 2006. And he said, why don't you just start Northern California botanists, Linnea? Okay. <laughs> I guess I will. Okay. So I sent out an, a note. Um, at that time, we had a board at the with the Chico State Herbarium. I asked those folks. Other foresters, people, and other botanists in Chico, would you like to help start this organization? So we started it in May of 2006 and did our first symposium in um, January of 2007. We did ours in 2007 and 2008 in January. Okay. We decided, our board, that doing two Take a break for a year and then do two. So that's what we do. Okay. So and it gives the board a break because it's a lot of work to put together a, a symposium. A lot of work. How long has Southern California Botanist been a group? Since the 1920s. Okay. The California Botanical Society is really the Berkeley, UC Berkeley Botany Club. Okay. Okay. So Southern California Botanist was set up as the other end of the state. Right. One of the things that's interesting to me is just even in this description that you've just walked us through are how many professional botanists are in organizations around the state and therefore in all likelihood around the country at different levels of policy and decision making. You mentioned a state botanist. You mentioned the Tahoe National Forest. You are you were a field botanist for the Forest Service as well. So there are kind of botanists all around us that we maybe just don't ever even see, which is what I find really interesting. Southern yeah. California botanists, since we've been around Northern California botanists, they've added a, a dinner and a speaker. And then they have now offered optional field trips for the Sunday. Nice. So, so they've stretched theirs out a little bit, too. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting what we've influenced. Uh-huh. Well, and it's just a perfect model because, as we know, you can learn a lot sitting in a symposium and listening to a lecture. But what you talk about over drinks in the evening is where people's synapses are really firing about possible collaborations and overlap and – the exposure to new ideas, new techniques, new people. It's how the young ones come up and get mentored much more actively, I think. And we've met, we've emphasized students mm -hmm. because uh, many of us 
realized, okay, I got into this, but I'm going to retire and somebody else needs to take my place. Mm -hmm. How are we going to find those people? How are they going to know that this is a viable job opportunity? So we really have emphasized students, you can get a stipend to come to the symposium and we get um, sponsorships from different organizations and people to help fund that. And so we end up with quite a few students that come, which is good. So then they get to meet the old timers and they get to see that, yes, this is something I can do. Yeah. You work as sort of nurse plants to the little seedlings coming up, Linnea. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of fun. And then we also have a poster session and... So far, we have enough room that if you want to put up a poster, all you have to do is write a little abstract and turn it in. There's no competition for space. And like San Francisco State has really glommed onto that. Oh, so our students can get a poster shown of their work and they can put that on their resume. Exactly. Very easily. Yeah. That's a pretty – that's a fantastic resource for students who need to be practicing and putting their work and their their own information out there. Um, Stanislaus State, they um, all went in together, the botany group, and they came up with a poster and it was from all of them. And we have the people stand next to their poster. So there was like a dozen of them. It was really kind of cute. <laughs> Okay, so speaking of mentoring and bringing up young uh, young botanists into the world, let's go back a little bit and talk about where where you were born and raised and how you became a plant person, Linnea, with the perfect name, yes? Um, I was born in San Francisco. My father was, um, we were living in married student housing at the time. It was called Gatorville at SF State, and that's where I was born. He was um, getting his master's in teaching credential. He had finished a degree in forestry from the University of Minnesota after World War II and came out to California. But all the men that came out of the war and went right into a job got the best jobs. And then he still had more school to finish. So there weren't as many jobs when he was done. Mm. So um, and here he had a family and decided, hmm, I think I'm going to go back to school and become a teacher. That seems a little safer. And um, my family, my mother's family had a resort in Lassen National Park. And so we moved to Chester so my my family could run the resort in the summer. And then my dad taught in the winter at the high school in Chester. Nice. And we did that for uh, till the mid-50s. Yeah, but his heart was in forestry, and so were, yes. were and they clearly named you with a plant a planty name. Uh, what I, I was named after my great aunt. Okay, not after Linnaeus. Well, but you know she it was somewhere. Yeah, it's a common girl's name in Sweden. And what were your earliest sort of plant? memories or influences that led you to following this path for yourself? Um, Well, we, after my family sold the resort to the park, we had a section there. Um, My father just loved it up there. So we, uh, my mother bought the three lots from my grandfather and we built a cabin there. So that's where my interest in the outdoors comes from. And I did the tree merit badge as a Girl Scout with my father, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, so that's how I got interested. We moved to the East Bay, and in high school, I was um, the naturalist at the day camp because I, I learned the names of the flowers. And, of course, that was just common names then. But I thought that was kind of neat to know what they all were, and then I could pass that information on. And um, then in college, I took a field biology class, And it was taught by a zoologist and a botanist. And the zoologist was doing research on deer mice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we'd put trap lines out at night, you know, in the evening. Mm -hmm. And then you'd trap the mice. And then you'd have to puncture their lungs in the morning to then make study skins from them. Mm -hmm. 
ew, I just couldn't stand it. And the botanist kept saying, I don't have to do anything like that. The plants are stuck on the ground. I can just drink a beer in the evening and enjoy myself. And I thought, that sounds a lot better. Yeah. So I took all of his classes and focused in on botany. And then how did you go on to becoming a field botanist for the Forest Service, which is what your career really was, was, mm-hmm. is, or started as your first, the first phase, of the big first phase of the career? I went to graduate school at Sac State, and on the campus was the field research station for California State Department of Fish and Game, what it was called then. And uh, when I finished graduate school, I was looking for work, and most of the folks that went into conservation biology, which is what our area was, Mm -hmm. they were either into wildlife or fish. And so I, one of the fellows said, I need an assistant. Do you want to come work for me? Okay. So I worked in fish and I worked in a blood physiology project up at Eagle Lake because they were raising the fish at pH 7 and then dropping them into Eagle Lake, which is pH 9. Hmm. And they would just go belly up. Yeah. So they realized you had to have graduated tanks to get them ready for the pH 9. And then when I was working there, um, they realized, oh, can we use her to help with uh, salmon counting in the fall? And this was highlighted on Dirty Jobs. I don't know if you've ever seen that. We used a machete and a gaff so that you wouldn't count the same dead salmon the next week. You'd cut them in half. It was very messy. They're very stinky, and you want them below the waterline. So we'd walk the Yuba River in our uh, waders and, you know, cut them and count them on our little chart and did that every week for the whole fall, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. And then the Native Plant Protection Act got signed. That was in 1977. Mm -hmm. And they sent a memo around the department. Was there anybody with any botanical background who might want to come work in this new area? They were starting an endangered plant program. Well, I waved my hand wildly, hoping they would notice which they did, and so I was moved into that. So I actually got to go from fish into botany and work there. And I worked there until Proposition 13 went through. Describe Proposition 13 This for was people. a tax reduction act um, by the state of California. It changed the tax way our taxes are done, and there was not as much money available. Yeah. So um, my job with Fish and Game... Uh, I was one of the last hired, so one of the first fired. That's how they dealt with reductions. And I was married by that time, and my husband was working for the Galt Community Concilio, and that was all county revenue-sharing money, which there was no longer any of that. So we just looked for jobs. We figured West Coast and see what who came up with what, and my husband got a job in Chico, with the health systems agency, so we moved up here. I got a part-time job with a community college in the East Bay, so I did that in the week and then was able to get a job at Butte College teaching field biology there Hmm. in the spring. And then I called the Forest Service thinking, well, maybe I could do that in the summer. And I called them and asked if they needed any botanists. I didn't know they'd never had one, but (laughs) I called, and um, I guess I talked to the right person. I'm not sure, but he said, you know, we need one of you. (laughs) (laughs) So I went in and talked with this Ray LeBeau, talked to him, and he said, okay, sounds good, and figured out a start date. And um, I showed up at work, and I said, okay, what does a Forest Service botanist do? And he said, I have no idea, but right. we know we're supposed to have one of you. <laughs> we need we need to meet our botanist quota. <laughs> so I started calling around trying to find out what you did as a botanist in the Forest Service. And the program I developed uh, several years later became a model for the Forest Service. I went around 
different regions of the Forest Service and explained the Plumas Botany Program and what we did and how we did it and how you set it up and all that kind of stuff. Today, Cultivating Place is joined by Linnea Hansen, botanist and botanical advocate and organizer. In 2006, Linnea made good on something she'd wanted to do for much of her career, and certainly before she retired, when she founded the Northern California Botanists, an organization focused on increasing knowledge and communication among agency, consulting, academic, and other botanists about botanical issues concerning science, conservation, education, and professional development. The group's primary objectives are to establish a communication forum via meetings, a scholarship fund for students working on botanical problems in Northern California, a job forum, and symposia that focus on the botany of Northern California. January 14th through 16th, the Northern California botanists host their ninth botanical symposium on the campus of California State University, Chico. Stay with us. We'll be right back for more. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. Listening to Linnea, I'm of two minds and two responses. The first is this. I can hardly keep a handle on the plant communities in my tiny suburban lot, let alone an entire national forest. So I'm thrilled to know there are botanists at work trying to document and monitor the plant life and communities of our nationally managed lands. The Plumas National Forest, where Linnea served as field botanist for 32 years, is 1,146,000 acres of mountainous terrain in the northern Sierra Nevada, full of interesting plants and plant communities integral to our quality of life in ways known and unknown. Of the approximately 33 million acres of forest in California, Federal agencies, including the USDA Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management and National Park Service, own and manage 19 million acres of these. So while I'm happy that botanists with their plant-based rather than human-centric or profit-centric view of the world are out there advocating, part of me also wonders, why aren't there more? Of California's total plant population, 2,153 species, subspecies, and varieties are endemic, meaning they only live in California, according to the 1993 Jepson Manual study. This botanical diversity stems not only from the size of the state, also its diverse terrain, climates, and soils. The number of rare and endangered plants within the biodiversity of the state continues to climb. The California Native Plant Society keeps an ongoing inventory monitored with the help of citizen scientists and CMPS chapters annually. These are regularly looked at and informed by professional botanists as well. This is just one of the important pathways of communication that Linnea and other professional botanists help connect and maintain comparing their observations and data collection within their forests to the information being noted by others at work. A recently published book chapter, Forestry, in the 2016 Ecosystems of California publication, provides a detailed overview of the history and future direction of California's forests. California forests face a number of threats. The greatest is not loss of forests due to harvesting and the lack of subsequent regrowth, but it is conversion to non-forest from serious catastrophic events such as large wildfires and land use conversion to agricultural or residential land uses. What's my point? I'll tell you. No matter where you're listening from, from Australia to the United Kingdom, to the Northeast, to the Southeast, to Southern California, there are, or should be, public botanists working to, and sometimes struggling, 
to improve our everyday information and understanding of how all these intricate and intertwined plant parts fit into the life and beauty of this planet. We often don't see them or even know what they do, but it's our job as informed citizens of the planet to know more, to see more, to appreciate more their efforts, to vote with our own taking time to see and understand and inform ourselves. So if you see or meet a public botanist in your area, say thank you. They are often public servants of the highest order plant variety. This kind of work, high protocol standards for it, and regular communication within the botanical world and outward to the rest of us plant-dependent and loving creatures, it matters to us. It matters to our future. Now, back to our conversation with Linnea Hansen and her botanist journey story and work. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're back from a break to hear more about life as a field botanist with Linnea Hansen. Linnea served as field botanist for the Plumas County National Forest for 32 years, creating a model for the National Forest Botany Program used throughout the state. She sits on the board of the Friends of the Chico State Herbarium and is founder of Northern California Botanists. Welcome back. So you were the first field botanist for the Forest Service at that time. On the Plumas National Forest. The first one in California was Janine Derby in 1976 on the San Bernardino National Forest. But they were not consistently across every national forest. And so describe the program that you developed to help make that more consistent across forest across individual forests staff through the state? Well, I, I wrote um, – people wanted to know how I did surveys because we did projects in the Forest Service. And at that time, uh, with Ronald Reagan as president, um, we did a lot of timber projects to get a lot of timber out. And all of those had to be assessed for rare plants. And then later on, we added – Years later, weeds and mosses and fungi and lichens. But at that time, it was just rare plants. And so I figured out how to do surveys and how to develop that. And I wrote it up. And this was using a thing called a typewriter (laughs) before we had any computers. Right. And um, I sent it around, you know, said, this is how I do it. And hopefully this will help people. And I remember we had a regional botany meeting and the regional botanist in San Francisco was asking, okay, how do people, how are you doing your surveys? And somebody said, well, I just follow what Linnea does. And after about the fourth person said that, the regional botanist said, okay, how many people just follow what Linnea (laughs) (laughs) does? And I was just writing down what I did just to say, okay, this is the way I do it. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of funny. So now here's a question which you may not have the answer to, but about – so what year was this that you started with the Forest Service? With 1979. Columbus? And at that time, what would be your guess as to how many okay, – I'm not really sure how to use this language. How many – how many – that Plumas is a state forest, national forest. How many national forests are in the state of California? Do you 18. know – and at that time, how many of those 18 had a designated botanist? Do you, do you have a recollection or a guess? There's usually just one per forest. The southern states and the northern states I um, did. And by the middle of Ronald Reagan's um, tenure as president, it was down to only a couple. A couple. Yeah, so probably when I started... Probably half a dozen. Okay. So of the 18, six of them might have had a a designated botanist at that time. About how many of them have a designated botanist now? 
I think they all do. And do some of them have more than one botanist? Yes. And mm-hmm. what would you say? What would would be the the most that a botan uh, that a national forest might have in our state? Well, um, I know the Plumas now has three. How many did they have when you retired? Six. And you retired in? At the end of 2011. And you had been working for the Forest Service, so that's 79 to 11, so? 32 years. 32 years. Uh, Most forests have, I'd say, two to three now. Okay. Yeah. About how many acres are comprised in that 18 national forests in the state of California? I know the Plumas has 1.5 million acres. Right. Describe for people, besides surveys that you would take for for forestry projects, what is the life of a field botanist for the Forest Service? Like what, what does it even mean to be a field botanist, a field botanist as opposed to a what kind of botanist? A field botanist would be doing surveys for timber projects. Also, if you have a list of what the rare plants are for that area, mm-hmm. usually all that we knew about them was the description, which was usually pretty poor because mm-hmm. it was based on just a couple um, samples. Sometimes the color of the flower when it dried would be different than what it actually looked like live out there and that kind of thing. So we'd get to know what the plants look like. Some people presumed they were no longer around. And um, I remember sending a note to the Fremontia because there was an article about penstemons in California and the rare one on the plumas, penstemon personatus. They said presumed extinct. And I said, no, it's alive and well. Right. You, you know, so, and then the other thing was to find out how these plants were doing wherever they were. Um, were they, how well did they handle disturbance of any kind? Because, you know, I mean, we've had quite a lot of wildfires lately, but all of this area has burned in the past. So these plants are set up for that. Mm -hmm. The frequency, of course, is going to be different, but they should be able to manage to live through some kind of disturbances. We found with the lady slippers, that interval is quite long, and with other ones, it can be a lot shorter. So that's the kind of thing we kind of information we were gathering that nobody else had. And most of the rare plants we were dealing with were only found on a couple forests. So very different than wildlife. We weren't dealing with how is California managing bald eagles as a pair as opposed to the state of Washington. Um, like Penstemon personatus is found on the Lassen, Plumas, and Tahoe National Forests. And that's it in the state. There's one plant I dealt with that it was found only within one section of land. That was it. There were several occurrences, but that was it in the world. So one of the things that seems clear to me is that in the time since you started in 1979 and started to develop a little bit of process that you shared out with others and that started to become more more um, consistently applied across forests, that simultaneously happening over that same 32 years, we see a huge amount of technological improvement so that all of the observations and notations you're making in from these surveys, from these observations on this land, especially done more broadly because you just simply have more botanists on the ground and speaking to one another, that you have a much, much better picture of what is the state of the plant life ac- across our region. And then You compile that with someone like you organizing the Northern California botanists, bringing those people together to share that information and speaking one uh, from what it sounds like with corresponding organizations such as California Native Plant Society, Southern California botanists, California Botanical Society. You all of a sudden have this fantastic 
nexus of information being shared and put together um, into a much better picture of what what we are seeing in terms of climate change, what we are seeing in terms of wildfire occurrence frequency and therefore effects going into the future. Eric Knapp has been doing a lot of work. He's out of the research station, Mm -hmm. Pacific Southwest Research Station, branch of the Forest Service. And to have somebody looking at the understory vegetation is quite new and quite really neat, the work he's been doing, to look at what that regeneration looks like after a fire or just after um, years and years, how different it looked before and then now without fires, what does it look like now? How congested the uh, vegetation is. Yeah. And you have a lot of comparative time-dated maps of what things look like based on all of these confounding factors to, to look at over time and, and be able to make some projections and make better decisions on how to steward, tend, care, protect. We did some um, nearest neighbor modeling and also some predictive modeling. Mm-hmm. If you take all the factors of, of where the rare plants are found, put those all together, where else might they be out on the landscape? And then we went out and looked to see if we could find them, and that was kind of cool. Yeah. And the, the folks in the geographic inf- information system, they were the ones that came up with those predictive models from the information we gave them. So that was kind of neat. So I'm going to ask you one more kind of background question before I move into the, a lot about the meat of the symposium coming up. Um you also sit on the board of the Chico State Herbarium. What, what is that, and, and and how does that correspond with this other work that you do? The Chico State Herbarium, the Friends Group, started in 1995. Um, the Chico State Herbarium got the were deeded. Is that the right word? Deeded the um, book collection from John John Thomas Howell who had been at the California Academy of Sciences. So he gave his book collection to the Chico State Herbarium. And at that time, the university was wondering if they were going to keep the herbarium or not. What do you do with a bunch of dead plants that are just smashed and put on paper and stored in big cabinets? And so people thought it'd be good to have a group of people that cared about them and cared about this resource to be a board to oversee that and to be advocates. Um, There are collections in there over 100 years old, plants in there, and you can really see changes that have occurred. You can, from what was there then to what is there now, and as the climate changes, we'll be able to look at what we have had in the past and how does it change in the future. Because I think most of us, we know things are not going to stay the same, but how are they going to change? So this is a resource resource that's very important. Uh, that collection is northeastern California, mostly. So that's something that you can go and check a specimen you have and you want to see, okay, does it look like the one I've got in my hand or not? And, of course, years ago you had to go to the herbarium to do that. Now they're getting everything databased so you can, if you know the description looks like, you can check that and is my location one that's already been collected. So lots of... um, Coordination has been done with the Chico State Herbarium with other herbaria in California. So it's a very important resource, but people that aren't botanists might not understand that Mm -hmm. because it's like a library of plants. So it's, it's something where you have that resource, and it probably looks dry and boring to people because just a bunch of dead plants that are flat on a piece of paper, you know, right. big deal. <laughs> but it's a wealth of information. Yeah. And it's really neat. So 
We formed a group, and we've been going since 1995, and hopefully that's helped the university see that it's something important to keep going. Right. And um, if nothing else, there's a group of local citizens that care about the herbarium and uh, want to see it stay here. So if nothing else, they will <laughs> hear from us if, right. hey— We'll just move it out and move it somewhere else. Well, that's not going to really work when you're trying to provide a resource to people that are doing botany at this part of the mm -hmm. state. And then, of course, things are taken. Um, the curator will send stuff if somebody asks for a group of plants. There's a lot of exchanging that goes on and that kind of thing. So. Right. It's it's a valuable resource to have at a university, but it may not look like it if you're not a botanist or don't understand how important it is to know what the plants are in an area. Right, and it's another layer of this information that's been collected. And 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 my assumption is maybe I'm wrong, but that part of what a field botanist does or, or has done historically and still does is to take collections and to um, add them to an, herbaria, um, an herbarium collection so that they are in the, the, the record and can then be referenced by other. And it's one of the ways we're able to track um, migration of plants over time, extinction of plants, that all – all of what they are doing in terms of crossing genetics and, and changing in the face of climate, disturbance, all human development, all of these things. We were really lucky on the plumas because Lola Hart and Vern Oswald loved collecting on the plumas and also um, Glenn Clifton. And Vern wrote his own book, Selected Plants of Northern California. One of the Bibles of botany in our area, even for those amateurs like me who are just trying to get basic understanding on the trail. And Glenn Clifton wrote um, a volume on the plants of the Plumas National Forest in Plumas County. So you can use either of those and not have to worry about all the plants in the rest of the state and get a lot closer. So... Mm -hmm. um, Collecting wasn't as big as an emphasis for some people as it might be on another forest where nobody collected at all. Uh, like Julie does a lot of Julie Nelson does a lot of collecting on the Shasta Trinity National Forest because not there hasn't been a lot of that mm -hmm. done. And some people are just natural collectors like mm -hmm. Lawrence Janeway and Barbara Castro. <laughs> so but that's something that a field botanist does. Yeah. And, and you certainly collect the rare ones if there's enough to do that to be able to have a record of what you found in an area. Yeah. Linnea Hansen is a botanist who has spent her career in relationship to the distinct plants and plant communities of northeastern California. An expert on fens, orchids, and penstemon, Linnea is the founder of Northern California Botanists, whose Ninth Botanical Symposium is taking place in Chico, California, January 14th through the 16th. For the symposium, botanists from around the region, the state, and beyond will gather for a two-day schedule of presentations by working botanists focused on such topics as vegetation mapping and monitoring, the importance of herbaria in research, management, and conservation, vegetation response to fire, the importance of herbaria in research, management, and conservation, and vegetation response to fire, among much more. We'll be right back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. Hey, it's me, Jennifer. Toward the end of our conversation, Linnea mentions the California Biodiversity Plan, so I wanted to follow up here. It's worth an entire episode, or 10, so look forward to at least one in the not-too-distant future. But for now, a quick-ish summary. Biodiversity is an interesting concept, and it's a word that's maybe overused and a little under-understood. But according to the Center for Biodiversity and Conservation, the term comes from combining biological, 
and diversity. And it refers to the variety of life on Earth at all its levels, from genes to ecosystems, and it can encompass the evolutionary, ecological, and cultural processes that sustain life. Biodiversity includes not only species we consider rare, threatened, or endangered, but every living thing, from humans to organisms we know little about, such as microbes, fungi, and invertebrates. In 2018, California's outgoing governor, Jerry Brown, asked the California Native Plant Society to help develop an action plan for native plant biodiversity. According to CNPS director Dan Glusenkamp, the finished plan is truly remarkable. It declares that native plants deserve the same protection as animals. Finally, Dan notes, and it mandates a set of incredibly ambitious projects, projects CNPS is already moving forward. Importantly, $2.5 million were budgeted to support the biodiversity initiative through state agencies. And recently, the state advertised for a new biodiversity coordinator. Dan asks us all to please help spread the word so they hire someone amazing. There are links to the California Biodiversity Initiative, a roadmap for protecting the state's natural heritage in today's episode notes. So I hope you take a look. As gardeners and nature lovers, I think we know more keenly than some just how much we don't know. Not long ago, in my mere 50-year lifetime, we had very little understanding about the complexity of the life of soil, the relationship between that life and the life of trees, the life of our own guts, and the relationship between all of these. Biodiversity is important to this beloved planet of ours, whose forests and meadows and deserts and watersheds are the lungs, livers, hearts, and sources of abundance from which we benefit so richly in myriad ways. We're all in this together, and botanists are among the bridges between us. Now, back to learning more about the botanical life of Linnea Hansen. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. We're back from a break to speak more with Linnea Hansen about her work as a field botanist, organizing and advocating for ever greater networks of communication and information sharing among all levels of botanical work throughout the state to the benefit of us all. Welcome back. Coming up very soon in January, January 14, 15, 16, we have the What Annual Northern California Botanist Symposium. This is the ninth. Ninth, or I guess it's not annual, the ninth Northern California Botanist Symposium. What what do we have to look forward to? You get all these botanists together in one big room talking about botany. What what does this symposium have uh, on its agenda? The theme of this year's symposium is research and conservation of Northern California's vegetation communities. Put that into regular people's terms, Linnea. What does that mean? That means let's look at the groups of plants that are out there and what's unique about them and what's interesting and um, talk about those. Um, Teresa Schollers has been doing work on the pygmy forest over on the coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she lives in the Fort Bragg area. And, you know, in those old beach terraces, the trees are only a couple feet high instead of several you know, reaching to the stars high. So she's been doing work on that. So that's one of the talks in that area. And looking at mapping in Sonoma County and what vegetation, the the um, assemblages of plants, how they differ. And so people can see what work has been done in that area. So we'll be looking at that and also talking about how important herbaria are good, so that people understand that. Another one is um, now that it's a lot easier to do DNA analysis, Mm -hmm. now we're ending up with the DNA of certain plants is different 
than another group of plants, but the plants look exactly the same? How do you conserve those groups? Do you just feel you have to conserve the whole big group of them? I mean, like, let's just say it's a white daisy. I'm mm-hmm. going to just make that up. Okay, if you've got this group of white daisies, but the DNA is different in those than the whole rest of white daisies, that may not be practical. Right. So what do you do about that? So that's something that um, is causing a lot of concern and really puzzlement. How do we deal with this? So that should be an interesting one. And it can often be confusing for those of us downstream of this decision-making and sort of higher level thinking because say, just for example, I think about the salvia groups and I think about how they are broken down and this new DNA is really shaking up the phylogenetic maps of these groups and all of a sudden, rosemary might be part of salvia or the California salvias might be removed from salvia and be put somewhere else because they're actually very different. They're related in some ways, but more closely related to something else. So those of us who are on the, let's say, consumer side of the salvia family uh, have to think, okay, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to also have some talks about fire. Good. Um we were thinking of the Rim Fire, the work that's been done there, and some of the other work, Santa Rosa, they're mm-hmm. starting to do work there, and Mount Diablo. But, of course, we've had a lot of fires in the North State here. The work that will be done on those will be in the future, so hopefully we'll learn something from the past to add to that. Yeah. And we have a couple sessions that um, we keep repeating. One is good news, sort of what's actually positive that's happened in the botanical world, and then new discoveries. And there are always new plants being found out in California, which is amazing. Amazing. Todd Keeler-Wolf is is your keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what he'll be addressing. Todd Keeler-Wolf is our keynote speaker. People wanted something more positive than just hearing about climate change and the doom and gloom and because— Uh, Hugh Safford came last year and and talked to us about that, or two years ago. So uh, we asked Todd if he would come and talk, and he's going to talk about learning to be a naturalist in Northern California. Nice. So that should be a very interesting talk. And describe who Todd Keeler-Wolf is for people. He works um, California State Department of Fish and Wildlife, and he works in the vegetation section. About how many people do you have, and when is the last time they can register, and could someone attend for just one day or one session, Linnea? The last time by mail is January 11th. You can register at the door. You can come for just one day if you want to. Um, The evening speaker is free, so you don't have to. We have a banquet in the evening, which costs because the food costs money, but the speakers after that, if somebody wanted to just drop by, okay, that could happen too. And it's held at the California State University Chico Bell Memorial Union? Yes. Okay. And there'll be more information about all of this on the website uh, for the episode, for the ep- in the episode notes. Right. We also are having <laughs> um, a couple lunch discussions one is a budding botanist for people, for students and people that are getting into the field. So there's folks that um, can describe what it's like to get jobs in botany, and that'll be a Monday at noontime. And then Tuesday at noontime, they'll be talking about the biodiversity initiative that's just starting here in California and what um, the different state departments are going to do a, about that. Nice. Those sound really valuable for students who might be interested and who weren't able to attend maybe the whole thing. So, so Linnea, you are a career botanist. You are clearly a passionate botanical person in a variety of ways, both at home, in your spare time, for your recreation, and you put your whole heart and time into making the botanical world uh, more connected and and better. I believe you are an expert in fens, in orchids. I think there's a third one in there too. 
Penstemons. Okay. I helped with a field trip for the American Penstemon Society when they visited Chico a couple years ago. Why does all this matter? Why does this matter to someone who doesn't know the difference between a, a penstemon and any other purple flower out there in the field, Linnea? What what are your hopes for botanical? I, I wish people would know more about the natural world and the world around them. Um, there's as much diversity native species in our state that, frankly, you really don't need to plant a lot of stuff. You could just enjoy what's here naturally. But we have a tendency to want to have more and bigger and prettier around our houses. And we're used to things from the East Coast or Europe to be around our house. But California has quite a diversity of plant species. There are about 6,000 in the state. And um, at our end of the state, there's quite a lot too. And it's it's just a a beautiful, wonderful thing to see in the spring. Yeah. It's pretty miraculous all year round, actually, like to see following our fall devastating fires, which is a word I'm tired of using, but to see the regrowth coming up in the burn areas right now and to walk some of the open land and wonder you know, when when are the bulbs going to start showing and when will the manzanitas that didn't burn, like what, how did they react to the stress and when will we see their first bloom this year and how did the bumblebees do underground and when will we start to see them? It's um, it's pretty miraculous, these relationships we have. And it's, I think it's neat to uh, see the world a little differently, like visiting different orchid sites around North America. That's really fun. It's a different way of seeing the world than just going to big cities and seeing them. Although when I visited my son in uh, New York City, uh, one of the orchidists that I met at a conference, he took me to one of the parks on Staten Island to look at orchids there. So, you know, there's orchids in New York City, which I think is kind of neat. And one of my highlights last spring was seeing the Calypso orchid up at Trinity Lake because it's not found in the Sierra Nevada, and I I wanted to see it. And it took my breath away when I saw it. It's just this little tiny little pink guy, you know, not very tall and really and, neat. And that was your first time seeing it last year? Yes, yes. Yeah. So there's always something more to look forward to. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's been really an honor to have you. Oh, thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. Botanical life is a fact of human life. Botany, the scientific study of plant life, is too, showing us the world through the plant-colored glasses botanists wear daily. Linnea Hansen is a botanist, an organizer and advocate for botany in Northern California. For 32 years, she served as a botanist for the Plumas National Forest in California, working at the district, zone, and forest levels. She developed the Sensitive Plant Program, which became a prototype for other national forest botany programs, and she provided botanical input on rare plants, noxious weeds, and unique habitats for environmental documents. She has taught botany at the college level, and she sits on the board of the Friends of the Chico State Herbarium. In 2006, she founded Northern California Botanists. Linnea is an avid educator of the public as well, and she regularly leads hikes and workshops about plant and wildflower identification, fens, and the orchids of California. Keep your eyes open for opportunities to go on a hike with her. All of the presentations from the Northern California Botanist's Ninth Symposium will be available online after the symposium is completed. For more information on how to access these or anything else about the upcoming symposium focused on plant communities in Northern California, visit norcalbotanists.org. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places.
Cultivating Place is a listener-supported co-production of North State Public Radio. For more information and photos from the life of a botanist and the Northern California botanists and their symposium, visit this week's episode notes at cultivatingplace.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast while you're there so you never miss a conversation in 2019. That's cultivatingplace.com. Thank you to everyone who listens, who donates. You all make this program possible. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Our engineer is Sky Schofield. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.